Hi, John. Hey, how's it going? Hello from uh, Santa Barbara. We're not in the same room this time. We are not, but I am in a room with someone else. We have another guest. Guests. This is good. This is what keeps us sane. We can only do so many episodes where we're like vision questing. We need we need another person to <laughs> vision quest. You can't be responsible with. for your sanity. I cannot. <laughs> um, so, you know, we have this tradition where we don't introduce guests. We let them introduce themselves. Oh, shoot. Okay. So they're not, they don't feel boxed in by, you know, the things we've noticed on their LinkedIn um, and they can describe themselves. So we are very lucky oh, to, man. to have uh, Jasmine Friedel. Friedel? Friedel. Mm-hmm. Friedel with us. Um, she's currently working as uh, the director of design at uh, Intercom. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't think that defines a person. It's, it's certainly a big part of your life. I feel like I'm you... going to have an existential crisis right now as you ask me <laughs> to define who I am in basically 15 seconds. Good start. Yeah. Good thing. Good start for cool. me. Cool. Um, <laughs> cool. Um, sure. What did you say? Uh, yeah. Um, well, I identify as a design leader. Um, I've led a bunch of design teams in the past, currently at Intercom with an amazing team of product designers. Um, and previously led some teams at Udacity and Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. Um, but my heart is really in a world of education. I've always, um, for, for a long time now, have invested in committing back into the design community Um, through whatever sort of supportive methods I can through people's careers, mentorship, um, and other sorts of tools and resources. Um, So I think of myself like as an educator, probably more over than a design leader. And my education comes through design leadership. Yeah, I think that's really reflective of the things you've done and worked on. Udacity is an Mm -hmm. obvious example of that. Uh, But even at Intercom, you guys put out so much great content and Work. I know I was looking at some of the stuff you put out on levels. F- oh, design. Yeah. 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 I, I had a talk with one of your designers, Gustav, about, yeah. you know, what does it mean to be a principal designer? Yeah. And then he shared with me the rubric that I'm sure you had a big hand in around the different career ladders. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that's something I appreciate. And, you know, we'll give a link to uh, that career ladders for other people to look at later. Um, but I also think, you know, the things you work on in your spare time, you have a um, I don't know what you would call that, a shop or a, a shape.co. Yep. I, I'll let you describe shape.co. Yeah. Maybe. So my husband, who is actually a product designer as well, he and I started this little side gig a couple of years ago. And, you know, it takes a long time and a lot of investment to get mm-hmm. something off the ground. But we were really interested in how to help um, designers starting off in product design or transitioning from other design fields get their feet on the ground. Mm-hmm. And so we started, we have one product right now. We started off with a de- deck of cards that helps people ask the right questions around their product thinking, their interaction design, and their visual design. Um, So we're starting to get some things out there. Um, The other thing we've done is we've done a podcast, which we call New Layer, where he and I um, just talk about the common issues that come up with new designers. Hey, what do I look for in my first role? Mm -hmm. What's the deal with these problem-solving exercises? Hey, what career path is the right one? And it's like, spoiler, there's not a right one. That's actually (laughs) what the answer is to everything. It's like, it depends, as we were just talking about. Um, But yeah, we're we're looking at sort of like the um, ways we can invest outside of our day-to-day jobs to give back to folks who don't have the tools that they need. That, that's very cool. And, you know, uh, just speaking personally for myself, I've benefited from those things. Like mm-hmm. I mentioned, um, your post on levels.fyi, but even the the card deck. You know, what I really liked mm-hmm. about that card deck was, you know, there's so many books out there that I think are incredible that my reading list is longer than, you know, the hours I have oh in, my gosh. In, my, in my year. And so, um, and so to just, you know, have this deck where I can pull out a card and, mm-hmm. you know, it asks a just a very high level question at times to get me to do kind of mental exercises, mm-hmm. mental gymnastics, I thought was really cool. So so anyways, we'll put links to all of this stuff in the show notes um, and you guys can all, all check it out. Um, for today's topic, we're trying to think of what would be a, a juicy thing to, you, you know what I've heard some people say nowadays? Spicy. Spicy. Okay. What would be I've a spicy topic? A spicy mm. topic. John, Something do you- controversial. Yeah. John, do you do spicy things? with your life? I, I um I really enjoy spicy food, but it it can often give me uh, uncontrollable hiccups. Um extremely yeah. loud, annoying hiccups. And I think that's because it, it can sort of uh yeah do something to the nerve in the back of my throat. And so I can't uh, mm. eat spicy food otherwise I'll really embarrass people. Uh right. so 
Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But but yeah, spicy stuff is good. So surprise, that's the topic for today. <laughs> it, it's all about, it's all about hiccups and <laughs> spicy food. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, it, it is. Well, we 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 thought about a topic about uh, fulfillment in not just our careers, but just our overall lives. And we were starting to dig into short term versus long term fulfillment. Getting caught up in the day to day. Everyone. I talk to often in tech is just so existential. Everything is broken. The world is broken. <laughs> we all want to go and find a cabin in the woods and retire. Yes. Everyone wants to kind of do that. And then, then you wonder, is like, is anyone having a good time? And when someone is having a good time, it makes people really uncomfortable as well. Like, wow, you know, I, I, what are they shutting out to make that happen? And maybe they're just really excited about everything. Um, but we were thinking about, you know, how how we approach kind of fulfillment in our careers as it relates to getting caught up in this day-to-day rat race and putting a lot of pressure on ourselves. And then these sort of longer term things that maybe we want to get out of not just our careers, but, you know, our existence on this planet. So obviously just a really, really tight and focused topic. We're going to be done in like seven minutes and it'll be awesome. (laughs) Right. Cool. Yep. (laughs) Finished. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, as, as you alluded to, it's a heavy meaty topic, um, you know, to, to just get the ball rolling, there's so many angles to, to think about. You know, when I first started my career out of college, I was intoxicated by this idea that you have to put a dent in the universe, right? That, you know, Steve Jobs came along, and there's all these sound bites of his that have wisdom in them, but you have to know how to apply them practically. And so things like, you know, life is too short to you know, work for someone else's dreams, et cetera, et cetera. Um, There's wisdom behind those things for sure. Um, But the way I applied them was like, you know, I have to start my own company and Mm -hmm. it has to all be for me. You know, entrepreneurship equals making a dent in the universe. And spoiler alert, (laughs) I learned that was not the case. And since then, I've tried to figure out that, you know, I do want to leave the world somewhat different than it was. But what that means for me will change over time. You know, just like my relationships change over time and to really just play the short game in order to play the long game. And something mm-hmm. that really resonated with me about trying to understand my own fulfillment, which which I still haven't fully figured out, is this quote by Bill Gates that says, you know, you, you know, people tend to overestimate what they can get done in a year and underestimate what they can get done in 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it's almost like a mantra I've been trying to apply to myself to not be too hard on myself, but at the same time, try to do new things and try to aim for bigger things, but, you know, kind of extend the timelines for those. Is that, does that resonate with either of you, kind of that journey? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about what that means for purpose. And I, I guess you could define fulfillment in different ways. The way we're talking about it right now, it makes me think of purpose. Mm-hmm. And I think there are folks who have purpose immediately and they're, they know what they were set out to do on this planet and they can drive towards that. And a lot of it is through starting your own business or placing yourself very intentionally within a career or a company that drives that purpose. And I'm not one of those people. I'm, I sort of like struggle to find purpose and therefore I struggle to find that sort of like life fulfillment piece. And I think going back to this idea of education, that's something that's been revealed to me over time, but it makes the term in which with I can operate very controlled because I don't see 10 years out. I see maybe six months out. I see maybe a year out and thinking about the impact on the world over time, I think that might be why folks like me tend to underestimate what we could do because you're just like, I can't even comprehend. Like my Mm -hmm. brain does not Mm -hmm. compute that far out. Mm -hmm. One thing that comes to mind, actually thinking, thinking to product development is how in the moment, some things just seem so dire. You know, you're in this meeting and there's sticky notes everywhere and people like furiously thinking about stuff and, you know, your company is doing some big initiative. And in that moment, just everything seems so important. Mm-hmm. And then if I and go urgent. back and think about it, I, I often, when I'm coaching teams, I say, looking back over the last year, what ended up being all that important? <laughs> and then often it's these very, like, it's not what you would think. It's not the 
moment when everyone was freaking out in the room. It was more like that second activity that people sort of recovered from and came together and said, you know what, we just got to, we just got to learn here and push through a little bit. And it was those moments that were really pivotal. And so, so, you know, zooming out from that over our existence in, in these careers we have and these overall missions that we have for our life or purpose, I, I found that to be very, very difficult personally, because in the moment it just feels like everything is falling in on you. But when you look back on it, you, you notice that it's sometimes those moments when you're, you know, celebrating some success or moments when you were able to, for example, welcome a new team member in and they smiled or it's, it's these moments that in retrospect are actually the warm moments. And those other things, which seem like the most important things in the world weren't in the grand scheme of things. So I don't know. That's what comes to mind with this too, is just how do we, how do we keep a little bit of the long view uh, and, and be more gentle and kind to ourselves in the moment. So that's, that's some thoughts that are coming up for me, not, not directly related, but, but I think they are related in some way. I'm guessing there's probably like a bunch of common things that a, sort of attack us in the day to day that make that sort of cloud the long-term view. Um, when you were thinking you're, you were mentioning, you know, in the meeting and everything's like stickies are flying and everybody's like talking and trying to like talk above each other. Like there's just, there's probably some missing habits that we have in day to day that are, I'm thinking like just around like basic goal setting and prioritization that extend probably beyond project work into purpose-driven work that we're missing. Yeah. I think something that from just to, to give an analogy to just metrics and metrics frameworks, that's often, you know, uh, what we recommend to companies. So you should start with the North Star that mm-hmm. affects the business and everything. And, you know, it's an indicator. It's not everything, but it should be a strong indicator that when it's doing well, the whole business and product are doing well. When it's doing poorly, there's something to investigate. And then, you know, you go down to KPIs, et cetera, et cetera. And it should go down to an individual person with their OKRs as well, right? So there should be a reflection of the actual work and, you know, it's, performance, but also that at the individual level of when you start looking at OKRs and the goals somebody has set for themselves. It's hard to do that for just, I guess, the the more intangible things, you know, have this North Star for your life and fulfillment and then break it down because maybe it's just things people don't talk about. Is that what you mean by habits or... Yeah. I mean, at, so at Intercom, we do this thing where, you know, everything from our mission vision strategy breaks down into, you know, how we roadmap, how we plan, how we work together into individual weekly goals. And I'm hoping I can tie this back in. Sure. We'll see. We'll see how we'll see how it goes. <laughs> There's something to like, I have a pretty strong belief that anything in regards to career development should be like pretty naturally incorporated in the work that you do. So if somebody says to me that they want to develop in their career because they want to do X, Y, Z with their life through the lens of their career, mm-hmm. I want them to be able to learn the skills, have the experiences, whatever they need in their job. I don't think I should send them outside and be like, okay, so I'm going to ask, you know, you work about 40 to 50 hours a week and then you need to go to a conference once a week or you need to read like eight books, um, probably three at a time, like we all do. And so having those goals like centered around like driving them, that seems really valuable, but that means mm-hmm. that we need to be really intentional about those goals and that, and even before that, that they're in the right role and in the right company. And so there's so many different variables that sort of need to come together, or you need to sort of craft the end result around where you're at, where that's pointing you. I have so many thoughts about that. One, one that comes to mind when I'm working with teams is just coherence. I guess, or mm-hmm. maybe congruence and coherence are slightly different words, but they're related in that all these frameworks and cascades and things are just meant to form a coherent story. <laughs> you know, so mm-hmm. you walk out of work that day and the story that's in your mind sort of fits and you're not battling yourself every particular moment. And if something's uncertain, you you are certain about it being uncertain, right? Like you've put a pin in that and you've said, we're not quite sure about that. The one challenge I see with teams when they work with these cascades and individuals in their own career is that they they don't really have a coherent story. They they, they go through the motions. Everything ties together, you know, for the purposes of getting stuff done in the day to day. But when you ask them to sort of introspect 
on on the coherence of whatever framework that is, they'll say things like, I don't know. I think if we continue down this road, we run a serious risk as a company that we're going to blank. Or, oh, look at the elephant in the room. The elephant in the room is that there's X, Y, and Z companies muscling in on what we're doing. Or, wow, I really don't know about that big bet we're making about uh, being really diligent about research. I'm not sure people believe us right now. And so I think we do that with ourselves too, with a lot of these life hacks and goal setting things and time allocation things is we don't step back and do the deep work to really shine the mirror on those frameworks. And so I think that that's that's maybe an important skill. Like how do you leave time? How do you step away to, to really think deeply about whether the stuff fits together in a way that you believe? Totally. I, I think one one of the best habits that you can have for this sort of thing, like professionally and personally, is just good reflection and like know how to do good reflection and good evaluation. And I love what you said about sort of p- putting the pin in the things that you're not sure of yet. Like evaluation doesn't have to mean like there's a a result. It might just be, you know, looking at your day and saying, hey, here were things that brought me joy. Here are the things I actually felt fulfilled in. Um, I would like to do more of those things. Or here are the things that I, you know, just walked away feeling unsure about. And that's okay. Like, I'm just going to like make a note to take a peek at this next time it comes around. I think that's one of the challenges is that in our day to day, especially like the further you get up in your career on that ladder, the more your time gets pulled away from you, the more meetings you're in, the more people that, you know, want to spend time with you, the more things you commit to that you probably don't need to. And then that time spent to just say, hey, I need to spend 15 minutes at the end of every day or half an hour, you know, at the end of every week, just sort of like thinking and reflecting and going through my calendar and doing some evaluation. And that's that's like a small tool that you can use, but something that is really helpful in sort of just like helping you move that course in the way that you want it to go or that it needs to go. That's a really interesting technique you mentioned because, you know, from this discussion, I'm picking out some themes around kind of macro ways to find fulfillment and micro ways to do that. And, you know, specific checkpoints you can, you can give for yourself. um, So you don't fall into the trap of just, you know, getting into the motions of only doing work and not understanding its purpose or how it affects uh, fulfillment. Um, you know, what happens in these meetings? Because I've seen other people book time in their calendar where it says personal reflection time, right? Mm-hmm. Our, our head of product, Justin, has this thing on his calendar that says check intentions. Mm-hmm. And I'm always Whoa. wondering what that, yeah. This is I'm very intimidating wondering. when I hear people do stuff like this. Like that just right. makes it worse for me. I- <laughs> <laughs> well, to me, I'd be like, you know, yeah. that's the time where I'm going to check my email. Like I'm going like, to, oh, the Slack messages that I have, like that, that seems really intimidating. Right. But what do you do? Because it seems like you do have some reflection time. I feel like for me to, and, and, and I definitely want to practice this So mm-hmm. you know, don't get me wrong, but I feel like. If I were to start, I would write this Google Doc of everything about myself. And then every meeting, I'd open that doc and be like, okay, am I happy? Am I healthy? Am I? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, are your goals to be happy and healthy? Like, I I think Mm. it goes back to like, what are you trying to do? And if you don't, you know, it might be something like, I want to have impact on the world in this way. Or it might be, I want to feel positive when I go home and I want to take that home to my family. Um. In my, in my best times, and I don't do this regularly because my calendar is a nightmare, but in my best times, I'll, I'll do a, at the end of the week, I'll do reflection time. And at the beginning of the week, I'll do planning time. And so that planning time sort of allows me to set my intentions for the week. I, we all, um, all of our leaders at Intercom do goals that we share with each other. And I find that really useful. I think goals are useful if you do them well. And if you're just forced to do them and you don't look back to them, it doesn't really help. Can you just give an example of a goal? just so I can understand that. Yeah. So um, one of my goals is to become a better product leader over time. And that's probably more of like, Mm -hmm. you know, just a six to 12 month goal. Right. Um, And so there's things that I want to be able to demonstrate, you know, with our teams in terms Mm -hmm. of leadership. And so I could dial that back. We do six week goals and then we do one week goals. So my one week goal might actually be, you know, Recently, I did a call for great product leaders on Twitter. Like that's a task. It's not Uh, quite a goal, but I might want to say something like I want to this week, I want to really embed myself in a community of product leaders. 
And so the first step, I'd give myself tasks for that then. The first step might be reaching out and finding out who those people are. The second step might be figuring out, um, you know, who can I have relationships with or who do I need to learn from? Or do I need to set up meetings with people in my company to better understand our own product? But there's lots of stuff that you can set as goals. But if you if you don't know where you're going, it's pretty useless. Like mm-hmm. you can set goals around anything. Mm-hmm. But I try and sort of push the edge of like what we're doing naturally within our work and how I can amplify that in some sort of a way. I think the other thing that I'm doing is I have a work therapist, which is also known as an executive coach, (laughs) mostly work therapy. Um, But she's had me do things like just at the end of every day, I have a Google doc where I, I jot down things that I really felt good about. And every once in a while, I go through that list, not daily, and I don't write them down every day. I kind of do it retroactively, if I'm being honest. But I go back through it and say, hey, what were the things that like really made me feel good? And a lot of times it's like interpersonal things. It's conversations I had. It's people I was able to support in some way. Um, it was somebody who felt motivated by the work that we we're doing. And I got to like see that. Um, so just like constantly finding ways to be in touch with what's going on is helpful. And then there's weeks where I do none of this stuff too, except for the goals. I always set my goals. It's a requirement. <laughs> yeah, no, I... I, I really resonate with with a lot of that. And thank you for sharing specific examples because it's always hard when you hear these theories. Uh, like, and, and I think you delineated it correctly between what's a goal and what's a task. And mm-hmm. a task can be something that leads you to your bigger goal. Um, no, that, that's very helpful for, for me to think about. I wanted to touch on what you said about a work therapist and a leadership coach because mm-hmm. maybe it's just me, but I've just in the last six, seven months have kind of awoken to this idea of having a separate coach that's not your manager or your peer, you know, working with you. Um, Amplitude has an excellent one in, in, in an individual named David Evans who's been doing a lot of coaching, um, you know, and, and I've been thinking about what sort of coach would I want? Because, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are a few people who I consider mentors in the industry and trying to figure out, you know, what each provides. So the first question is, is this like a new thing or am I just, you know, just learning of this kind of type of coaching? And what does it really mean for you in terms of fulfillment? Mm-hmm. I'm, I mean, this is the first time I've had one and I've, I've seen them available at other companies, but usually to a certain degree of leadership. Like you have to be I at see. a certain level to, you know, justify the expense hmm. of someone. Um. The one that I have, I, you know, I think it, it is much like therapy where you go and you're like, hey, this, I can connect with this person. Like, mm. I'm going to trust this person to hold me accountable. I'm going to want to like be honest with them. Mm. The one that I have at the relationship seems to be going pretty well, but it's for me, it's sort of a forcing function to drive some of the like setting goals in the first place, like really sitting down when I had that first conversation with her and saying, Hey, what am I trying to do here? And the first thing she worked me through was not being a better product leader. It was actually, I need to sort of like grab a hold of my work-life balance. I'm headed towards burnout fast. And and it was in a six month period where I had already had four weeks of vacation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Things were intense. And so I needed to leverage her knowledge and her skills to help me work through that. And she's actually not, She's not in tech. So she's just, she was an executive leader herself. Um, But she just has the strategies and the questions that I need to be asked that she can hold me accountable to, but it doesn't go outside of sort of that safety zone, which I really appreciate. Yeah. No, that's so interesting because it seems like they don't have a for lack of a better word, like a horse in the race, right? Because mm-hmm. when you talk to your manager, you know, you can have an incredible manager, but the, it's still in the context of your work, your execution. Yep. Even when you talk to your spouse, you know, a, a good spouse does provide that guidance from time to time, but they also rely on you, right? You yeah. have, they have rights upon you, if you will, and you have rights upon them. And so having that, I, I guess the word is objective. Mm-hmm. My, is, is that what it is? It is. And, and also having a person like I, hmm. my husband and I are both in design. So we could, we do talk about design all right. the time. Like, right. and there's times we have to be like, no more work talk. <laughs> well, <laughs> just I just mean, need a break. He's Netflix. Still like, Netflix. <laughs> we talk about Netflix. Netflix is the best. Uh, He's still in IC and you're in design yeah. leadership. So. Yeah, and we've take, we, he's taken sort of the IC leadership path right. and I've taken the um, the managerial leadership That's path. That's interesting. And we do, we have like nice contrast there. But I think there's something too where like the further you get up in leadership, the lonelier it gets too. Mm-hmm. Because... You know, I can I can talk to my boss. My boss is also in Dublin. So the time availability is very, very limited. Mm-hmm. But also there's just so much that 
I need to deal with for my own career and my own progression and my own impact on my team and leadership and all of those things that I can't and shouldn't talk about with my team. I need to work at a peer level or above with them. And so when you have folks who are busy and have their own priorities, it's nice to have that person who's sort of just set up to do that. And I I keep saying it's like therapy and it's because it really is. It's like, you know, when you have, you know, you could talk to your family members or your partner about the emotional things you have going on, but when you're able to step aside and have an individual who's objective and has really no skin in the game, Mm -hmm. other than just to be a support, you take a lot of that um, sort of pressure off of the relationships in your life. Right. And so doing this for work allows me to like put that pressure into one person and myself sure. um, and, and keeps it in the spaces where it belongs. That That's fascinating. To me, I'm hearing, you know, really trying to diversify the people, processes, outlets in your life to really get a grapple on, um, you know, what fulfillment really is for you. Mm-hmm. And all the people you mentioned in your life are necessary parts, but it's also necessary to have um, you know, aspects that are more free form and, you know, that, that maybe are more objective. Uh, even the fact that it's like their career, I find is interesting too, because, you know, whenever even you ask advice from a mentor, you feel a sense of almost guilt because you're taking their time, right? So you can't lean on them all the time, let's say, or, or, or different, you know, other different relationships that might be similar as well. So no, no, that, that's really interesting as, as an aspect of fulfillment thinking that I never thought of myself thinking yeah <laughs> interesting fulfillment coaching maybe even yeah. right you could um, be a certified fulfillment thinker if you want <laughs> well that, okay well I have new purpose now it's <laughs> fascinating uh, yeah it was it's kind of interesting too if you zoom like back out from the coach thing and think of all of the people who you interact with in your daily life like what is their purpose in your fulfillment or what is your purpose in your teams, your teammates and team members fulfillment? How do you contribute to your boss's needs and where they're going? Or, you know, the person on your team that just started? It'd be really interesting if everybody was able to like be explicit about mm-hmm. what they want and where they're going. Right. One thing that comes to mind here too is just how we often let our work environments become almost as stressful, if not more than, than our, our most sort of stressful and involved relationships with our families and with our friends. And and it makes sense because we spend a lot of time there. Uh, One thing I often wonder about is that, you know, there's so much luck involved. There's so much timing involved. These companies are going to come and go. And, And I say that you know, yeah, I think Amplitude's going to do great. I think Intercom's going to do great, but we control so much. And what what I notice often is that these environments, especially where everyone is so intense about their own careers and everyone's so intense about being servant leaders and everyone's so intense about the environment that even, even when you try to take care of yourself, you know, all the playfulness in that environment gets taken out. It's just a super intense environment and, you know, 60% of it's luck and timing, you know? So, so I think that what comes to mind when I think about this is, you know, I'm thinking about my dad or my mom who worked for, you know, 30, 40 years in single organizations and they would go through, you know, like a whole decade where stuff sucked or, you know, things were hard for a long time. And I wonder how we can, and, and they would stay very optimistic about it. You know, they would, they would sort of see that long view. And I wonder to what extent, you know, some combination of social media and the ability to connect with other people and the durations that people are staying at these jobs and the challenges of these very rapid growth companies and everyone's the, you know, sort of type A plus and 10Xing everything. I wonder whether, whether we're just forgetting the playfulness and, and the idea of, craft and just showing up and, and bringing your best self and walking out at the end of the day. <laughs> Cause I, I think about that a lot when I hear about, you know, I, I imagine that there's, you know, this place in San Francisco where all the executive coaches get together on Sunday mornings for mimosas and they're just laughing because laugh they basically, <laughs> they basically control the whole city. Um, <laughs> and so I, I wonder to, I wonder to what extent we're creating a sort of cycle of intensity that that has many positive benefits and we're trying to care for people, but also might have some um, 
dangerous effects for us. Does that make any sense? <laughs> this, I'm, I'm totally relating to all of this. I, totally. I, when you mentioned, you know, your parents and and you know how they kind of stick with this single organization job. I, I think like if I look back to my parents in that generation, like there, there, there were clearer values. There, you know, at least within the context of work, if we're like, let's constrain this a little bit, but there's definitely clear values. And, you know, for my parents, it was like a steady job and a paycheck and time with the fam. Like that was what it pretty much boiled down to. And, you know, with the, especially the careers that we're in, with the availability of roles, with the diversity of roles, um, there's just so much choice. And I think you sort of end up crafting your values along the way which means that you have to explore and experiment. And without doing the right sort of, this goes back to reflection, without doing the right sort of um, reflection and evaluation, there's, and and maybe I'm like getting too far into like a millennial perspective, but like (laughs) there's like this idea that you should be able to have everything. And that ultimately leads to some sort of discontent and feeling of unfulfillment. Yeah, that resonates. It's funny. I'm reminded of someone that that I worked with and they just seemed to have cracked this nut. You know, there would be highly irrational things happening at work and they just seemed to, to, they would laugh about it. And like, they were very playful about these things. And even when it impacted them, you know, even when it meant that the next couple months were going to be really difficult, they'd say, oh, you know, this is a crazy world anyway. It's going to, it's going to work itself out. The ironic thing is that they were so effective. And I think that part of it is because they had a little bit of this, <laughs> I don't care attitude about it. Like they, they were playful about it. They understood that these things were not do or die decisions. They understood that some of these uh, personality conflicts and companies can take a couple months to work themselves out. You know, they, they showed up and they smiled and they helped people and they, they savored the small moments and opportunities to help people. And so that was the 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 irony is here's someone on the surface who seemed like well they I don't know if they really care, but they were actually one of the most effective people <laughs> in the setting. And so I, I I always remember that as trying to balance myself out when I find myself so so deep in a certain situation. And I think back to that person, I thought, wow, you know, not only did they were a lot, a lot more gentle with themselves, but they were uh, uh, like a lot more effective with what they did. Uh, so that's something that comes to mind. They must have had some sort of like, you have to have then like a range of what you know is normal and a, a cognizance of when something steps beyond normal into like crazy town. Because <laughs> there are yeah there are things that happen in, like there are things that have happened in my career and I'm in the middle of them and I'm like, this is normal? Like this must be normal. And then you step <laughs> away from it and you're like, oh no, like that was not okay. But to have that established range so that you can kind of like laugh at the things that are outside of that and like have a, like a firm grounding on, on what you're capable of and what you're willing to put up with. That, that seems like a, something that, you know, is either a gift or something like you have to practice. Tarek, can you think of something that in your career at the moment you thought, oh my God, is it really supposed to be like this? But now in retrospect, you can look back and be like, yeah, I just kind of let those things roll roll over. You know, I've got a, a steadier sense of what what is fulfilling to me. And and I know that in the grand scheme, that's not, that's not really a big issue. Yeah, I mean, literally all the time, especially <laughs> this is now, you know, I was reflecting on this the other day. This is my ninth year in a row at a startup. Um, and so that comes with a lot of baggage and a lot of um, scars. And yeah, no, I am constantly now, I'm, I'm definitely more aware of it than I was earlier in my career that, you know, you should question whether, you know, not just where we got, but rather the inputs of what led us to get into this stressful week or this big deadline and try to fix those inputs as opposed to just commenting on, you know, the thing that happened. And so, no, I'm definitely more aware of it now. Um, you know, personally for me, I've definitely not figured out the equation for fulfillment. There's a lot of things you guys mentioned that I'm constantly thinking about today. Um, the, the, the aspect of not letting every low become such a bad low, right? Like you were saying, the person who's just more playful, mm-hmm. I think, were the words you used, John. Um, you know, I, I've been reading a lot about professional athletes recently and Olympic athletes. And, you know, Nike has a great podcast about this. And they talk about how to be successful as an athlete, you really have to, you know, not get too high off a, a win or a point 
uh, or not get too low from a loss because you have to have that mental toughness. But athletes have really helpful ways to measure success, a win or a loss at the end of that game, which makes me think, you know, that's also a helpful thing as well, where, you know, similar to what you were saying, Jasmine, around, you know, you should have a mental toughness. Absolutely. You should, you know, not get too low or too high, but at the same time, you should question when things are too crazy, right? When, when things are crossing boundaries, right. And, and finding that, that middle ground. Um, One final example I'll give in relation to that you know, oftentimes fulfillment, you know, you guys were talking about this in terms of your story. Can you go home at night and know, you know, what you did today adds to kind of this narrative arc you've agreed to yourself? And can you have deeper conversations around the overall narrative arc? Some, you know, a movie I think about constantly, we did mention Netflix, (laughs) um, is Disney's Up. Mm. And, you know, that movie, you know, deals with, uh, you know, a younger person helping an older person who lost uh, their wife deal with grief. And that's really the overall arc. But something I like about it is seeing what happens or, or at least going through a thought experiment of what happens after the credits roll, right? If you had a movie about this person's life, and you almost kind of have a bit of a montage of that in the beginning of the movie where the, um, you know, the, the older person shows their life with this woman, that becomes his wife. Um, and, you know, it looks like a very fulfilling life, but, you know, um, it's very rare that two, you know, spouses die exactly at the same moment. And so there are times where, you know, it's life after the credits, right? And, and, and the movie talks about grief, but what I got out of it is just being like, well, wow, fulfillment, you know, you can have a whole fulfilling life but still be left figuring out, you know, where do I go from here when maybe uh, a spouse passes or, you know, maybe you've ended your career and now thinking of retirement, you know, do you buy that motorcycle (laughs) with that leather jacket, you know? And so to me, that really opened my eyes to realizing, well, actually, I'll have a bunch of narrative arcs, Mm -hmm. you know, and the one I need to focus on is just the one right now. And it's too hard. (laughs) It's too mentally exhausting to figure out all of them because I don't know how things will play out. And so just focusing on the narrative arc for now, for the next three, four years or whatever that that is. D- does any of that resonate with it's you? It's almost know. as if our lives are projects. <laughs> and we have target metrics. Oh, God, no. Collecting data points. Well, it's the difference between a product and a project. I do this game with teams where I say, um, you know, project versus product. So I'll say, for example, we can play the game, like getting married project or product mm. and then marriage marriage yeah <laughs> product yes. or project right getting married is definitely a project for oh, me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but being married is definitely a product i, I see that difference well That's being married can also be a project <laughs> yeah you could yeah, yeah you could break it up and it, it's just funny when you think about it that way because it's all you know that i whenever i go down that rabbit hole it just all becomes this big sort of nested tree of ideas. And so, you know, I see this with teams a lot too. And I think it actually relates to fulfillment and what you're doing in that, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, okay, design owns defining the problem or something, you know, and this group owns this. And I actually, from a fulfillment perspective, I always feel that's a little bit, a little bit like weak sauce. That's, that's just trying to sort out how you collaborate in that moment. And when you boil it back, like, Every company, you know, someone will say, we've got to grow this amount in this period of time. Well, that's a solution to a higher level problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, th- the button radius being three pixels is a solution to the problem of, you know, a more effective button, which is a solution to the problem of like a more effective workflow, which is a solution to the problem of, you know, helping this persona be more successful, which is a solution to the problem of maybe going up market and doing whatever and trying to get into the enterprise, which is the solution to maybe lasting and, you know, keeping 1500 people employed for the next couple of years, et cetera. And so, you know, I find that a lot when I think about practical ways to keep this idea of fulfillment in mind is that it really is about the connections between things that that help. Um, so it's much more about being able to tell that coherent story of how the button pixel being three pixels relates to these other things. And with our personal lives too, you know, it's, you know, what artifacts can we create in our own lives, like mind maps or, or you know, stories, I think telling ourselves stories, all these things are ways that we can kind of help build the narrative. Um, and so I don't know. Yeah. The project versus product thing is, is kind of funny. 
I think that's really interesting because that, you know, thinking between project and product, there's an aspect of time bounding. There's an aspect of things having goals. I mean, what's a goal for a product? It's a lot of things, but goals for projects might be more specific. And so I like that way of thinking. I also resonate with what you're saying about trying to build that narrative so you can easy, so it's easier for you to peel back how an individual effort helps. Personally, for me, figuring out that narrative is so tough. It's such (laughs) a you know, pressure-driven discussion with myself that something I found that's helpful, and and this might be just crazy, but I'm going to throw it out there. I'm going to sound like someone from tech, but but here goes. Um, ah, This this is so repulsive. Yeah, you're building it up, man. Get ready. We're ready. So (laughs) you guys are all going to cringe. So, you know, Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos, he has, you know, a talk track, which, you know, is convenient for him because he's super successful. But he has this talk track that, um, you know, when they were small, they thought about all of their features in terms of, you know, not trying to predict the future because it's impossible to predict the future, but instead trying to invent it and inventing it based on things that you know will never change instead of trying to predict what you think will change. And so, you know, he has three things he talks about. And again, it's convenient because it's worked out for him. I don't know if they actually did this. There's kind of some creation myth here, but, you know, just take it for, for its worth. So he says, you know, customers will always want faster shipping. They'll always want more selection and they'll always want lower prices, right? And so he says, you know, no matter what we work on, if we work on things that bring down the prices, five years from now, no one will say, hey, I want lower prices, or no one will say, I want less selection. Now, there's some existential discussions around that in general, uh, but, but you know, on its basic form, it's, it's pretty true. And so recently, rather than trying to figure out my narrative arc, which, which I would love to have, um, you know, and I think it would be very helpful. For me, it's just hard to figure out. L- like you said earlier, Jasmine, there are some people who just know what they want, and they have that narrative arc for them. For me, it's hard to figure out. Instead, I look at it being like, you know, what would I never regret? I put time in, right? And personally for me, that's, you know, my kids. Personally for me, that's learning interesting things. Like I just love learning new stuff, um, you know? And, and so there, there are a set of things that I've put for myself that, you know, even if I invest in this and I realize, well, you know, there's this other thing, I won't regret it. And so I've taken almost like a proof by contradiction perspective mm-hmm. on it. And for, for me, that's been helpful, at least just for myself. Seems as though there's like, that's like, you can, if you don't have the vision, you can create guiding principles Hmm. and then those principles will put you through that. that, Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, it is a good analogy for a product too. I mean, features and products come and go, you know, it's kind of like the company is the product and you'll probably disrupt your features and products many times on doing it. So yeah, I mean, it's, it's a convenient and, uh, obviously incomplete analogy, but I think that thinking about those, though, if, if you can find those guiding principles, the things that if you're, if you're at all just chipping away at those, at those things, uh, then, then it will be helpful, but it brings up too see, it brings up too much baggage when I combine products to life, because then I, then, cause then, you know, there's that book like design your life. Like, I think there's all these um, you know, intellectually coherent ways to do it. And then you're sitting there, you're low on sleep, you've had just one coffee, you're sitting in some, you know, poorly lit, fluorescently lit conference room, and you're just like, what the hell am I doing here? Yeah. No. And totally. so I think that it's it it um it comes one one thing I like about what Jasmine said though and what she's doing outside of work is that people people now they they think they're gonna pour so many hours into work and you know, you see people who are really good with their their energy allotment on things, picking up side projects and things that are really fulfilling to them that don't also mean they're working, you know, 80-hour weeks. And I think that that is really powerful. You know, the idea that we need to be defined by the one particular puzzle we're trying to solve for company X at any given time when there's there's many things. I mean, obviously, people talk about being drowning in all their hustles, but, but just having a couple of things outside, I think is at least good for that perspective. Yeah, totally. Um, I think there's a lot of things here to, to think about. Um, as usual, I don't know if this conversation was helpful to people. So uh, please reach out to us on Twitter if you found it interesting. I know for, for myself, I've got lots of things to think about in terms of um, you know, having a personal coach, thinking about fulfillment and all these different dimensions. 
having guiding posts, etc. But what we try to do at the end of every episode is have something fun. Oh, no. I'm and terrified. put people on the spot. Awesome. And so I've got something in mind, John. Do you, do you have something? No, I, I yeah. It, it has to have like low brain cycles involved because I feel like I've kind of poured my existential crisis into well, it. Yeah, and an aspect of fulfillment, I think, is, you know, sometimes when you give yourself a break and you have a guilty pleasure. So I, I don't think this will require a lot of brain power, but it might, you know, reveal yourself a little bit. Okay. So, you know, share what you're comfortable with. But, you know, I have a guilty pleasure sometimes I just put on where literally my brain is off. <laughs> and I'm just enjoying what what I'm I'm watching, and so it's 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 a specific brand of television shows, and so it's either very low energy, low cognitive load um, reality TV. You watch or, reality TV, yeah, or yeah. or TV um, or teenage dramas. Okay? And so the reality, yeah, the reality TVs I watch. <laughs> Even that is very niche. There's a show called, oh, this is so embarrassing, but there's a show called Ball in the Family, which is about this NBA star, Lonzo Ball. And it's on Facebook Watch. Every episode is like 20 minutes. And, you know, from a television point of view, it's very low quality, but it's, it's you know, <laughs> like uh, I'll give you one example of a narrative, right, from a single show. Um, in one episode, one of the Ball brothers, they're all basketball brothers. One of them's in the NBA. The other two are trying to get in. And they have this eccentric father who wants all of them to play for the Lakers. Now, one of them happened to just get on the Lakers. But I don't know how that actually happened. But two of them are trying to get on. So in one episode, the second one gets a tattoo. And the dad doesn't like tattoos. And that's like pretty much the episode. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's really enjoyable. It's very confined. There's not that much drama. I mean, so, Sort of like a- Saved by the Bell. I mean, it sounds yeah. like... Okay. Yeah. yeah keep yeah. keep then, going, Tark. Keep going. Yeah, you know. And then the other kind of teenage dramas I like. There's a show called Riverdale, which is about the Archie characters. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. Two full seasons. Yeah. So oh, bad. Okay, you have. Okay. See, yeah. it's so bad. You almost can't stop watching because you're like, you, it doesn't even need to be good. You know what I mean? And so I turn off my critic hat of like, is this entertaining? And I'm just like, well, that I didn't expect. <laughs> you know what I like about that one though yeah. is there's always some like mystery or some mm-hmm. problem being solved and yes. mine mine is is like i love like crime tv dramas mm-hmm. like anything with a detective right. who's solving a problem mm-hmm. and i just recognized this week because i'm staycating and i'm watching <laughs> way too much tv which is what i need to disconnect but i realize it's like you know in design we're trying to uncover enough evidence to lead us in a direction and we're using right. our own personal insight we're using qualitative evaluation quantitative evaluation but we want to move forward with confidence. Hmm. Like when you look at a detective show, they they move forward with such little confidence. Yeah. It's like we could craft a story that could possibly work and we could get through the court system mm-hmm. by stringing together a loosely held narrative. And I'm like, I just wonder if I'd be a good detective. Like it would make my brain work in such a different way. And I yeah. love that minimal brain exercise. Not to say detectives don't like sure. use their brains. Sure, yeah. But it's just such a different take on it yeah. that I'm trying to solve the mystery along with them. And I love that. I, I would watch totally. hours of crime TV. No, that makes a lot of sense. And the reason why I like Riverdale over real crime TV, because real crime TV, especially now, you know, the real stories that are incorporated in a lot of them are so stressful because you think about injustice, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But then you watch Riverdale and it's like, oh, that guy happens to be a vampire. Like, I didn't know oh. vampires existed in that, you know, fantasy world. Did it? Right? I, <laughs> so you're I, just like, okay. Vampire. You know, it, it, it's the mystery mm. without the consequences of real, right. like trying to think of the criminal or justice the system or right. the horror. Right. And so yeah. maybe, yeah, now that you're mentioning it, maybe that's why I like Riverdale. Um, and, you know, and there's just some wins where like, you know, that guy just, you know, kiss that girl. And, you know, that's like a win for the show. And it doesn't have to be dramatic. And it's just, I don't know. Yeah. So I, I've, I've revealed myself. I've put myself out there to be vulnerable. Oh, um, that was the game. Like reveal ourselves to be vulnerable. What is the guilty pleasure that gives you some sense of joy or fulfillment um, that, you know, you might have not told people? Is, isn't, yeah, Jasmine, do you have, do you have one? I was really going to say crime TV. Okay. It's not real. And I don't, it's not real crime TV. It is more of like the SVU, which is a little bit mm-hmm. raw and kind of, you know, too sure. much sometimes. Sure, sure, sure. But like any sort of like Netflix show that's going to uncover something over the course of, you know, eight to 20 episodes right. that I can hopefully watch in like a day or two. You're into it. I'm into it. All right. Yeah. All right. 
John, do, do you have you anything? know th- this is this is hard. I I you know speaking of being near near burnout, you know the the with our son and all this stuff. I'm I'm probably not giving myself enough time for guilty pleasures. Um, yeah. So that's kind of it's meaningful. I, you forced me to reflect on this, not to get all serious, but I was like, oh sure. shit, I don't uh, I don't have that thing off the. I mean, I like playing with my kids sometimes. I like putting yeah. him in his goofy helmet that looks like a small bear, which we can share with folks. <laughs> um, so he's, I've seen it. Excellent. So he's ped- pedaling excellent. around. Um, I got really into to doodling. I I did a hundred day doodle challenge, which was really effective because it just helped me disconnect. And so I would just sit and do a doodle every morning with no plan and had to use black ink and red ink. And I couldn't plan the thing beforehand. And I found that to be pretty fun, but yeah, I need to get more of these, you know, micro disconnects going because it's, um, it's hard. I highly recommend them. These are examples of passive things. Sometimes I'll give you another crazy example. For like a good year, maybe it wasn't a year, like six months, I had this Twitter account where I was like, everyone loves raisins or something. I I don't even like raisins that much. And so I would just go on Twitter under that account. And anytime somebody mentioned grapes, like I would search grapes, I would like defend raisins. I would just troll people. (laughs) And trolling is a great pastime. There you go. (laughs) But it was from such a playful area because I wasn't representing like a religion or political views. It was just like raisins. Or sun made or anything like that. Yeah. I was aggressively defending raisins to people. And and they would be surprised because they would have conversations with themselves. And suddenly they're just like, you know, hero for the raisin. Um, so that was fun. So you got to find yeah, something. Yeah, I, I will. I mean, these yeah, these shows sound pretty good. Defending reasons sounds sounds pretty <laughs> solid to do these. It's funny because you're just basically you're yeah that like I like what Jasmine said about the crime show. You know, so it's kind of I mean we can dis disconnect because maybe like a whole day at work is like being a, a silly detective, but that but that's not all that interesting. But it helps if you can you know, watch the detective show to do it. But yeah, I'll, I'll I, yeah, mark my words by the next time. Next week, I will have found a guilty pleasure. Uh, I will okay. refine that. So. It doesn't have to be a long-term guilty pleasure. Sure. It can just be a <laughs> yeah. short term. I think we go to TV because it's like, oh, what is the right. thing that has plagued us and supported us over our lives? But there are small projects that I would say yeah. are guilty pleasures, but they won't come to mind because right. they're just like little moments. Right. Like, As like, opposed to committed habits. Oh, geez, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, this is hard. Defend raisins, for example. Could, I could like be, doing yeah, I this like podcast, frankly. Like, to me, I just <laughs> shut off when I do Like, this is, I look forward to doing this each week. I kind of disconnect well, to do it, so. I'm not going to reveal the raisins account, because I don't want you guys to. I think to... we could probably find it. We'll just search grapes and see what <laughs> oh, yeah, you respond to. <laughs> probably easy to you find. You gave away your secret. Yeah, one guy who's <laughs> defending raisins. Anyways, well, there's probably no one else listening. At this point, <laughs> yeah, we've gone deep. So, <laughs> just for the race, yeah. yeah. Um, hey, you know, thanks for listening and give us feedback. And you know, Jasmine, super grateful um, to, to have you here. And and I hope you enjoyed this discussion. And hopefully, we can chat again in the future. Yeah, so great. much. Thanks I had an awesome time. Thank you so much, Jasmine. <laughs>